Hello and welcome to this talk from Hersham Baptist Church. My name is Phil, I'm the pastor of the church here. It's great to have you with us. We're here to provide good Christian content to help us all to be courageous in mission, Bible-saturated, spirit-dependent and loving of others. If you're new here, please hit like and subscribe below to stay in contact. If you'd like to talk or to pray about anything that comes up during this talk or in life generally, then please do get in contact through the show notes below and we'd be happy to talk and pray with you. We're going to look at the Bible in a moment, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this time together. We want to thank you for the chance to look at the Bible. We pray that your Holy Spirit would take it and apply it to us and change us through it so that we might come closer to you and be changed to be like Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 4 today. It's the end of the bigger story in Daniel of Nebuchadnezzar's relationship with the four young men who were among those he'd taken from Jerusalem. So at the beginning of Daniel chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, invaded Jerusalem and defiled the temple and took captive a whole load of Jewish young men. And he forced them to work for him. And we've been following four of them and their adventures as they've lived and worked in Nebuchadnezzar's court. But behind the story of these four young men, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, is a bigger story of God's relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. Of God and Nebuchadnezzar being involved in a long battle to see who is the true sovereign and authority on the earth. And we're going to see in Daniel chapter 4 how that battle comes to an end as Nebuchadnezzar learns that his pride needs to go if he's to be restored in his relationship to God and to others. Well, we're going to read highlights, extracts from Daniel chapter 4 in a moment. But before we do that, here's today's lunchtime summary. Pride cuts us off from God, but Jesus gives life to the humble. Pride cuts us off from God, but Jesus gives life to the humble. Pride cuts us off from God, but Jesus gives life to the humble. Well, we're going to read the Bible now. So if you've got a Bible, then turn to Daniel chapter 4. We're not going to read every verse of chapter 4. It goes on for a very long time and it's quite repetitive as different people describe the same events to each other. So we're going to read extracts from it. We're going to read... Daniel chapter 4 verse 1 to 8 and then we're going to pick up again at verses 24 to 37. Do read the whole thing if you're interested and I encourage you to get into it. But for now these are our verses. Let's read. King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth may you prosper greatly It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is eternal. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed... The images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me so they could interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. 
Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. And then Nebuchadnezzar describes the dream to Daniel and Daniel interprets it. And we're going to pick that up in verse 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree that the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not great Babylon? I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what's decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and with the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my honor, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for my nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. It's the word of God. Well, so at the beginning of our reading, Nebuchadnezzar is enjoying life. He's at ease. He's enjoying life as the emperor of a large part of the world. And as we come to think about this story, it's easy for us to uh, read over these words without realising quite how big and impressive Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar was. So I've actually found a video of two historians discussing uh, with uh, images of uh, Babylon as it would have been under Nebuchadnezzar. We get a feel for what it is that Nebuchadnezzar would see when he looked out, what he meant by look at this great city I've built. We're in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin and one of the most astonishing objects they have is, well, it's not an object. It's a gate for a city. 
There were eight double gates that formed part of the walls around the ancient city of Babylon. It's huge. It doesn't just impress us. It impressed people when it was built. In fact, it was called one of the wonders of the world. So Nebuchadnezzar, of biblical fame, ascended to the throne and proceeded to rebuild the already ancient city of Babylon. This is a city that has its roots in the third millennium BC, but had become a major political center under King Hammurabi in the 1700s BCE. The city had remained populated, but regained importance in the sixth century under Nebuchadnezzar II and under his father. And what we're seeing here is part of the enormous building campaign that Nebuchadnezzar II had undertaken. We might recognize Nebuchadnezzar from the Bible, from the book of Daniel. He's the ruler of Babylon who conquers and destroys the temple in Jerusalem and who's responsible for the exile of the Jews. Clearly he was very powerful. He was able to undertake this enormous building campaign. You know, he fortified and strengthened 11 miles of wall around the city of Babylon. So the city of Babylon had eight double gates. The one we're looking at is one of those gates and actually the smaller of the double gate. The the other one would have been even larger, if that's possible to imagine. In fact, so large that the museum can't actually put it on display, even in this very large space. This gate, which of course would only be open for the friendly, is at the end of a long processional way, lined with beautiful lions that speak very clearly of pride, of power, and of Nebuchadnezzar's rule. So we're told that Nebuchadnezzar is at ease. He's enjoying his power and his influence and the splendor of his empire, the great work that he's built. And then he has a nightmare. And this nightmare is so scary that Nebuchadnezzar sends immediately for all the wise men he employs and he tells them his dream. And he says, what does it mean? And none of them can interpret it until eventually he sends for Daniel. And Daniel says, this dream is from God. And God is going to humble you. You're going to lose your mind. You will be driven out. You will think that you're an animal and you will end up being driven away from the throne until you are humble and you acknowledge that God is God and that he has given you everything you have and that you, like everyone else, work for him. And actually, uh, this happens. So Daniel uh, tells Nebuchadnezzar, unless you uh, change your ways, unless you, in the words of Micah the prophet, love uh, mercy, walk humbly with your God and do what's right, then you will find this judgment comes upon you. And, And Nebuchadnezzar can't help himself. A year goes by and a year later he is once again looking out over his city and he thinks to himself, oh, I am great. I am awesome. I'm amazing. And the moment he does... He hears a voice from heaven and he loses his mind. The judgment of God comes upon him and he begins to act as if he's an animal, to believe he's an animal and to have to leave uh, the society that he's built and the throne that is his by right. Interestingly, these Nebuchadnezzar's symptoms do actually uh, replicate uh, what's a modern uh, mental illness that people have found uh, described uh, in the pages of the Bible from several thousand years ago. The king lives like this for a period of time until he's willing to humble himself and to acknowledge God. And when he does, his reason is restored and he is returned to the throne. And he actually then writes this chapter. It's an extract from a letter of a type that we find in Babylonian uh, archives. 
that the king would write, announcing things that had happened to him, just like this letter. And he writes this letter to all the world to say, "This is what I have found. I've found that I have received everything from God, and I want to give God the glory and humble myself before Him." It's a fascinating story, and it's one that's supported by the records that we have from Babylon. Interestingly, they actually record that Nebuchadnezzar was driven away from the throne with a problem that they don't specify and then restored later. It's more than just a historical story, however. It's designed to teach us about pride. The burden of the story in Daniel 4, and really the burden of the story from Daniel 1 to Daniel 4, is that of pride and how it affects our relationship with God and with others, and how it has to be dealt with. I want to think about this, and I'm going to use uh, help from the great Christian writer C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. If you want to get a copy, I really do recommend it. You can pick up a copy from Amazon through the show notes below. So we're going to look at this question of pride in Daniel 4 using our three headings of recognise, resolve and receive. So first, we need to recognise that pride is a problem and it's a problem that we all suffer with. Pride, C.S. Lewis tells us, is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. St. Augustine actually said that pride is the original sin. It's the sin that leads to every other sin. Pride is that quality in us that thinks more highly of ourselves because we are better than others in some way. Nebuchadnezzar was, above all, a proud man. He looked over everything that he had achieved, undoubtedly great achievements, and he thought he'd done them because he was great, because he was superior to other men, and therefore he was better than them and had achieved more than them. And what need, therefore, did he have for God or for anyone else? And particularly, what need did he have to submit himself to God? This kind of thinking is deadly. It's deadly for our relationship with God and it's deadly for our relationship with others. Let's treat others first. Lewis puts it very succinctly when he says pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of the simply having something. It gets pleasure out of having more of it than the next man or woman. In other words, pride immediately puts us in competition with other people. It's bad for our relationships. When we're proud, we believe we have no need for others or of God, save insofar as they increase our own greatness. It also destroys our relationship with God. Lewis puts it this way, he says, as long as you're proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something or someone that's above you. Pride breaks our relationships with others and breaks our relationship with God. The story of Daniel 1 to 4 is that of God breaking Nebuchadnezzar's pride so that he could be restored in his relationships with God and with other people. The king had to learn that God rules the earth and that everything we have is received from him. As John the Baptist replied to those who wanted him to compete with Jesus, 
A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. He, that is Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Without this attitude, we can't know God, as Jesus put it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first step to getting past pride is to recognise it. Lewis comments that it cannot be cured unless we first realise that we are proud. If we think we are not conceited, it means that we're very conceited indeed. So having recognised that we are by nature proud and that this pride can cut us off from God and from others, we need to begin to ask God to do something about it. Now this is tricky because religious people can be the proudest of all and and indeed religious pride can be the hardest to uh, overcome because it comes veiled in all of the sanctimony and pretension of piety. As Lewis notes, proud religious people can invent a God for themselves. We're not worshipping the true God, the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ and his Father in heaven. We invent a God for ourselves, for us to worship. And and we therefore, uh, Lewis says, we theoretically admit ourselves to be nothing in the presence of this phantom God. But we are all the time imagining how he approves of us and thinks us far better than ordinary people. That is, Lewis says, we pay a penny worth of imaginary humility to God and get out of it a pound's worth of pride towards our fellow human beings. This has got nothing to do with Christianity, this type of attitude. Paul puts it in Romans 2 verse 1, Who are you, O man, to judge anyone else? How then do we begin to deal with our pride? If if we recognise that that more religion is not necessarily the path that we need to go down, how do we deal with it? Well, the key is to be real with God, to be honest with God and to be specific. We get a clue to this in the passage that we just read, particularly in verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar gives us a clue. You see, the king's pride was to do with his position, his power, his achievements. And so we see when Nebuchadnezzar comes to pray in response in verse 34, these are the things that he acknowledges that God is sovereign in. God is great in all the areas that Nebuchadnezzar had been proud. Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that the areas that he had pride in, God is actually in charge and in control and he gave everything Nebuchadnezzar has. This is, I think, the key to resolving the problem of pride. We need to see where we are proud And to start to acknowledge that God is sovereign and supreme in those areas. So to help us, what might be those areas where pride hits? Well, we each have to find that out for ourselves. One helpful question to ask is, what is it I find hard to acknowledge has come from God? What is it I find hard to acknowledge has come from God? Well, it's different from everyone. And... Uh, Each one of us has to find our own way. But here are some areas that I find a particular challenge. When we're successful or powerful, when we achieve success, this was Nebuchadnezzar par excellence. He uh, had achieved enormous success and power and therefore he was proud. When others praise us or find us attractive, we can become proud. When we're complacent and at ease, this is a Western disease. 
We are complacent and at ease, and therefore we are proud. We imagine that nothing and no one can touch us because we have insulated ourselves from every form of hardship and suffering that could possibly come. Aren't we great? Hasn't our great power achieved this for us so that no one and nothing can touch us? When we suffer, it's an interesting one. We can be proud in our suffering. Suffering can produce humility, but it can also produce pride. If we take our pain as a badge of identity and we allow it to define ourselves and our ability to cope with it becomes the thing that we look at and think, oh, I can do that. And therefore, I no longer want to help. I no longer want God's help or his grace or his mercy or his love in it. I may not have everything, anything else. But at least I'm coping with this better than anyone else could. And so we refuse the help that God offers because we're too proud to accept it. Jesus actually uh, had to deal with this in his healing ministry. You can read through the stories of Jesus and marvel at the number of times he asks someone, do you want to be healed? Are you willing to put down your pride and let me help you? Only we and God can know where it hits for each of us. When we find our areas of pride, we need to be willing to bring them to God and to do business with them. That means acknowledging that God is supreme and sovereign, that in that area of our lives, everything we have comes from him and that he can give it and he can take it away. It means acknowledging that God is our saviour. That means that we need his help. That we need his help and that Jesus has come so that we can be accepted and forgiven and healed. We need to accept that God is sufficient. That God is able to help us. That God is what we need and not ourselves. Recognise, resolve and then receive. When we begin to acknowledge our pride and to ask God to help us, we start to receive his grace and his healing and his blessing. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 18. It's a very famous parable. I'm going to read it now. Uh, reading from verse 9 to verse 14. Jesus said this. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and who looked down on everyone else, in other words, who were proud, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, that is, somebody whose life looked amazing, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Let's just pause there. I want you to notice that his pride has already cut himself off from other people. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, Jesus said, rather than the other, went home justified before God. You see, the Pharisee's pride had not only cut himself off from other people, he'd actually cut himself off from God as well. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And this is the good news, that that humility... That willingness to come and accept that Jesus has what we need and that he can give it to us and that he is all that we need and that everything we have is going to come from him anyway. 
brings acceptance by God. It brings forgiveness and healing and salvation. Or as James, Jesus's brother, puts it, God opposes the proud, but he shows favour or grace to the humble. When we are willing to humble ourselves, we receive so much more than we had before. We can receive all that God wants to pour into us. Forgiveness, acceptance, love, hope, healing, joy. But we have to let go of what we're holding on to and accept what Jesus offers on Jesus' terms. We always finish with an application. Well, our application today is simple. Where are we proud? Where does it hurt us to accept our debt to God and our dependence on him? Find it and put it right today. The tragedy of Nebuchadnezzar's life is that he had so many chances to put this right. Daniel 1 to 3 over and over and over again record how Nebuchadnezzar came up against God in his prosperity, in God's blessing to him, in prophetic words, in miraculous deliverance. And time and time again, he did not humble himself. It took suffering to get through to his heart. Now I can can express from my own experience how painful that is, how painful it is for nothing to get through your pride until eventually God has to humble you through suffering. It is by far the worst course. We will all be humbled. We can choose to humble ourselves now or we can choose to suffer now and allow God to humble us because we couldn't do it or we will have to humble ourselves when Jesus returns. It is by far better to humble ourselves now and to receive the joy and the peace and the blessing that comes from knowing Jesus and receiving his grace rather than God having to humble us. So our application today is to be humble, humble yourselves. In the words of Micah, love justice, do mercy, And walk humbly with your God. Pride cuts us off from God. But Jesus gives life to the humble. Do stay with us. We've got some more sung worship in a moment.